Hey everyone, welcome to the show. You're listening to Can I, the Latchel podcast named for the acronym Continuous and Never Ending Improvement. At Latchel, we have a deep belief that you can't get better by staying the same. And our podcast is here to give you the tools and resources you need to achieve healthy growth. As a Y Combinator backed company, we know what it takes to have rapid, accelerated growth, and we want to pass our learnings along to you. At Latchel, we help property managers and landlords grow and scale by taking over 24 7 maintenance operations. We've developed an innovative mix of software and on demand support to help do that. Each week on this show, we bring on industry experts and we dive into the topics that'll help you shape your business. Welcome to the show. Let's get going. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the session. I'm Ethan Lieber, the CEO of Latchel here, along with our guest today, Al Williamson, a full-time real estate investor, author of several real estate books, creator of leadinglandlord.com, um, which is a library of resources that helps landlords increase their income and equity. Uh, welcome to the show, Al. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me here. Thank you for coming. That's um, great. And I, you know, I kind of want to get started by hearing more about your personal story because I know you were a full-time engineer right. before you started in real estate investing. Right. And would love to start with that story of how you even got into real estate. Well, getting into real estate is because I got married. It's one of those big episodes, right? Getting married or having a kid. One of those things. Life transition. You got to grow up pretty fast. <laughs> so, so I was getting ready to get married and a fellow at the church picnic, he said, Al, you should consider uh, doing a duplex instead of the, the traditional house that you guys are planning on buying. Because he had a whole portfolio of duplexes. So I said, you know, that's a cool idea. I kind of like um, blue collar fixing things. I was kind of raised that way. It feels good to me. So I went to the library and just started reading and reading and reading and um, all the books and all the algebra came together and um I was learning about all kinds of things like highest, best use and repositioning things. Mm. And I'm kind of a, I'm more of a creative type of problem solver than I am a civil engineer. So it was very appealing to me. It was super, super appealing. So we ended up um, buying a three unit building in Sacramento, California and um, living there, you know, pushed my wife into the smallest unit. (laughs) That's how we got started. Yeah. So that was, that was great. That was yeah. that was that was a lot of fun and taught me a, a, a whole lot about uh, being firm but fair, and um, some of the lessons like either you're training your tenants or they're training you. Mm. Uh, all these important lessons I had to learn about you can't be their friend and and, and um, you know enforce your rules. All those types of lessons I learned. Um, this is in 1996. That's so in- I yeah. In 96, when you got that uh, triplex, uh, yeah, um, was it kind of turnkey, ready to be rented? Were there already renters in there? Or did you do any kind of renovation yeah. work on that triplex before renting those units? Well, she, she booted one lady out before I, uh, you know, because she knew I was, a, I was a home owner's loan I was on. So I had to live mm-hmm. on property. So then I had two other tenants and um, I lost one, kind of moved out. And the other one died on me. Oh, I was wow. the last person with him. He died in my unit. <laughs> this, was a, this was 96. 
he well, had that, um that sounds like a gnarly yeah. introduction to, to yes being a it landlord. Was. yes it was so i was with him at the hospital i was the only one with him his family kind of abandoned him he was he he died of aids oh well, that's so I, was, I was the okay. last person with. so yeah that was a um eye opener i was like you know i didn't sign up for this i signed up for the boats and the vacations and the mailbox money <laughs> the passive income right <laughs> that's what i signed up for yeah. yeah yeah so that that was a good lesson for me yeah so i i assume then very early on you had to kind of figure out how to lease these two units that yeah suddenly yeah. Were, were kind of vacant so they, they were coming vacant i was doing some improvements so i was excited about that and um, rents were increasing at the time back in in 96 so it was, it was you know i was definitely being able to peg my my income higher so that was great so i, I kept doing that I kept imp improving things and and uh, lifting my rents up and i still wasn't able to make a good cash flow after it's all said and done after all the repairs it was a victorian so and i and i enjoyed working i was keeping my costs down i was doing all the uh uh, maintenance myself as much as I could, and still the cash flow wasn't pinning out. It was just, you know, paint costs money, <laughs> carpet costs money, turns turnovers cost money, yeah, and uh, water heaters and all that stuff just costs money. So, with with this first, uh, well, let's call it your first investment, yeah, um, and your first foray into property management, right? Were there like a couple things that were there a couple mistakes that you think you made early on or, or was it just sort of the circumstances like around the triplex no, made it no, tough no. to be cash flow positive i definitely i definitely made some mistakes just with um understanding how to manage tenants you know understanding Ooh. understanding that and separating myself and also about confidentiality especially if you're living on site you you got to keep things confidential Ooh. So that's kind of the, the lesson learned. I, I really blew that. And um, you, you, you got it. it. It comes down to, it comes something simple like it, you got to pay to stay. Yeah. And you got to cut the lot. You know, if they're, if they're, if you're past the grace period, then you just get a, a notice to vacate. That's just what happens is pay or quit. There's no, that's just how we do it. It's just not a, um, there's no, there's no really discussion. It's just I have to do this. This is, this is what this is the uh, result of your action. I have to do this. Yeah, you know, I think what a lot of people miss, um, I think especially their first time, they go into thinking, "Cool, I'm going to build this passive income stream." But I think what some people miss is, even if it's a passive income stream, you're running really a business, and a business lives or die by the. Uh, adherence to the processes you build, right, to That's run right. that business. That's right. And if sometimes you're like, oh, you know, I feel bad for this person. Don't worry, <laughs> you don't have to pay the rent for two months. You right. can pay me later. Right. Okay, you just broke process. That's bad for business. And that's absolutely like what, what matters most. You well, know, Ethan, uh, you're reminding me, you know, one of the big lessons that I learned is that when you make a decision, you have to set a boundary. Boundaries come with decisions. So um, understanding that I want to be nice, but I have to protect my family. Mm. So when I come out 
with that energy of I'm defending my family by enforcing my processes, I could, I as a nice guy, soft-spoken, uh, fun-loving, can enforce my processes because I have to defend my family. They, they're depending on me to do that. So that's what I, I, I worked my way through, bumping my head until I got that through to my, that you, um, you gotta, you gotta protect your family. I'm curious, uh, early on in this process of uh, you developing your income streams and really developing your, your business for yourself, um, were there resources or tools that you used to kind of help out or was it all just kind of figuring things out as you went? You know, it was like, you know, the internet was just kind of coming around. And, and, and I mean, 96. Yeah. That was yeah. Like in the yeah. Early days. And I, I don't think bigger pockets was around. I, at that no, point, so. it wasn't. And, and also um, I was, uh, I was trying to do it all myself and, and I kind of, I didn't network at all. I didn't go to the, I didn't invest in training and get a mentor like I should have, you know, Jeffrey Taylor, Mr. Landlord was around, but I read some articles, but I never invested in his materials that would have saved me a lot. So that was a big mistake. Um, big mistake, not, not investing in myself for my, for education and, and trying to do it on the cheap cost me a lot of money. I have to give, um, I have to uh, jump on that too and give a shout out to Mr. Landlord Jeffrey. Um, we actually uh, work with Jeffrey and uh, he, he talks Latchell's praises all the time for you know, any of the landlords he's working with that just want to offload parts of you know, the maintenance component. Um, but he's an amazing resource. And uh, you know, I'll just say right now for any audience members like interested in exploring that, go check out mrlandlord.com if you're, you're trying right. to self-manage or if you're you know, a startup property manager because th there's lessons in there, I think, that apply whether you're, you're self-managing your own properties or whether you're third-party property manager just starting out looking for like the right resources. Oh, absolutely. You could springboard off this is 33 years of <laughs> To start, you know, springboard off of 33 years. You don't need to start from zero. Yeah. Also, uh, one of the articles he wrote earlier on, he talked about uh, just setting your financial goals, setting your how much net income you want out of that property instead of how much the market can bear. And, and that article is what sparked my whole book and my whole career. That's the whole reason I'm yeah, the reason we're talking is because he wrote that article. So when I see him, I always I always thank him for that because he started he started me on this trail of, of of setting your goal for what you want and then working backwards to figure it out what you need to do. Hmm. I want to talk about that process and maybe before we're talking about your process for kind of working backwards, we can talk about how you how you got into writing. Um, books in the real estate space. I, I think you're, you're probably best known for publicly documenting your, your quest to create this, this um, rental property income stream. Right. Right. Um, right. And I was talking to Katrina, who I think you met uh, on Latchell's team. She had mentioned, you also talk a lot about how you actually covered the mortgage of your eight unit apartment right. building in, in 2015. And documenting that process and right. documenting how you were figuring out and maximize cash flow of your portfolio um, to you know fully replace uh, a full-time job. Right. Um, 
as you went in and were, were I'm curious what inspired you to, to start that documentation process to start authoring books. We, we talked about, um, well, we're going to talk about uh, 40 ways to increase the net income of your rental properties. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but I know you, we mentioned before even starting this recording, you wrote another book um, that I think is called, called Seven Laws of Abundance. Oh, that's that's going to be a book. It's a future oh, it's book. going, okay, that's right a future I'm using, book. Okay, yeah, cool. Right now, right now I'm using those seven laws to uh, create income streams, long-term income streams without my own money. So I'm actually doing the projects. Um, I, I'm working on one. I got four, two more, to, I mean, three more to go, then I'll write the book. But it's, it's awesome. all, yeah. I like doing things um, and documenting them on YouTube as I'm doing them. So, mm -hmm. you know, if it's real, then I can show it on YouTube, right? If I'm phony, then I can't show it on YouTube as I'm doing it. So I like to tell people what I'm doing and document what I'm doing and show myself doing it and show them the results of uh, if I failed or not. You know, it is what it is. Let's, let's be transparent. Let's not be the guru about it. Let's show you what I'm doing. Yeah. And it, this might be like the most basic silly question but why why bother doing that it's because it it for my own self-interest of it makes me feel really good and, and contributing you know the whole contribution part of it is mm -hmm. is good so i feel good also broadcasting is it opens the world of abundance for you you know broadcasting is one of the laws of abundance so other people know what you're doing and can co-create with you and also join you in your mission. Uh, so you're not all doing it all by yourself. That's awesome. Once you, and once you broadcast, then you have people interested in investing along with you, offering yeah. you different money. And, and um, because the goal is not to spend my money. That's exactly what the, the world of abundance looks like. You don't spend your money. You uh, create investments for other people. So you so you never run out of money, just like a bank would. The banks don't spend their money, right? Even right, yeah, right, right. Before we, I, I want to get into what you talked about about backing into your goals. But before we do that, I want to take a sec to talk about broadcasting because I think what you just said is relevant on so many levels to uh, so many different members of uh, our audience that are are listening oh, yeah. to us. Um, I, I think your point about broadcasting to you know, get that advice, get that help and mentorship is one thing. Broadcasting to bring people in your world to share the investment burden so that it's not necessarily all your money going into creating, right. you know, these income streams is another thing. And um, a lot of the startup property management companies we work with, I don't always think realize the value in broadcasting for their, their purposes because when management companies can broadcast to show their authority and knowledge in the space and share that with the community, I think that's the best way for them to find the landlords or accidental landlords that don't want to be self-managing. Oh yeah. Absolutely. You know, that want to say, Oh, this person knows what they're doing. Yeah. You know, and yep. use them to manage the properties. Um, let's hop over the, and talk about uh, the comment you made about kind of backing into the goals. Cause I'm curious, 
if we if we kind of rewind to 96 when you went into real estate what were your goals and how did you back into them what was what was that process like if you could kind of walk us through that yeah so the process was didn't even want to write anything on a piece of paper you know that wanting to write a goal at all you know and and, and just working without a plan somehow I was going to become a millionaire that was that was <laughs> yeah, the idea like yeah i want to be a millionaire yeah yeah, yeah. so um and then realizing that you know you can um the cash flow is what i really signed up for i so that i got the equity there it just naturally because i was in a um, this time in the market was when it, everything was appreciating really well so I was doing well there, but I was um, not getting the cash flow that I was trying to get out of it. So that's when I started researching and, and um, trying to figure it out. Because when, you're, when your spouse asks you why you can't go on vacation and you have this, you know, we have all these rentals. Why can't we go on vacation? You know, honey, it's because we have all these rentals and we have to pay for them out of our W-2 job, even though... Um, I'm doing everything careful and, and as quick as I can. It's just the, the cost to operate is, uh, is, is enormous. And one paint job on your property can take the whole profits for a whole year, your huh. whole net income. And a, a new roof can take it from you for several years. I mean, you could build up a little bit of cash in the bank and something's going to come. Because it's always wearing, you know, there's a clog always forming in your pipes. And we pretend that it's not. And, you know, your water heater is wearing out and these bigger things are happening. So, so that's, that's, uh, that started the quest. I was under a lot of pressure, uh, especially when I had to admit that uh, we had all these rentals and we look great after taxes, after we got all the depreciation and everything. But, Cash flow wise, it just wasn't happening. And then when like I met, you, you looked good on paper, but your lifestyle was 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 sucked. Yeah, mm. stuck. And and then catch other landlords and get them where they could actually speak freely. You know, because we all have our egos. Is how many properties do we have instead of what our net income is? Right. Two different things. So when you get it by themselves to say, yeah, you know, is is I'm struggling with that too. So. Yeah, so that was it. I, like I told you before, uh, being creative is my 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 strength, and that's when I have the most fun. So, trying to write fifty ways to increase the net income of your rental property, I couldn't make fifty. I only made it to forty. So, and that was a struggle. <laughs> yeah, well, let's talk about that. So, you have this book, Forty Ways to Increase the Net Income of Your Rental Properties. It's on Amazon. I think it's only like eighteen. $18 and like 90 cents or something. Yeah. Like awesome deal for all the value packed into it. Um, I want to get to some of the uh, uh, strategies you talk about in the book. But okay. before we do, I actually had pulled up a few of the reviews that are on Amazon that I, I just kind of want to read these off because after reading, them, I was like, wow, okay, I, I need to get this book and see if we can apply any of this to Latchel. Um, so the first one up here, five stars of review, of course. Uh, and he, here's what here's what they said. Bottom line, if you own a residential rental property, 
several of these 40 ideas are things that can turn into profit streams. The rest of them will stimulate you to look at your property in different ways and perhaps come up with a few ideas of your own. So what I love about this is like, it's very obvious you're thinking about net income. It's not yes. about how do you, you know, just increase the amount of units that you're, That's right. you're managing. It's how do you actually increase profit? How do you create more profit streams? Yeah. Um, now we'll, we'll get to this a little bit later. You also have sections where you're talking about um, vacation rentals, and like short-term rentals. Um, and I know b before we even got into this, we were talking about, um, you know, month to month furnished housing and, and how that can work. Um, but one of the reviews from someone that was running a short-term rental, um, I'm going to skip paraphrasing it, but essentially he talked about ideas you had provided him back in uh, 2015 on using bikes um, and providing bicycles in the Airbnb units to increase cash, increase the amount of bookings and basically increase his uh, net income. Um, so you also have ideas in here for like those vacation rentals. Um, yeah. Now, like looking at the reviews, I'm like, all right, I got to get this book. <laughs> I need to see the 40 ways to increase the net income of my rental properties. Um, yeah. But maybe we can focus on a few of the strategies that you okay. detail in this book that you think um, might have the biggest impact for folks, or okay. maybe they're like a little more unique and maybe people haven't thought of them. Well, the one, the one, the one that's not in the book that I want to offer, and I think it's going to help your audience the most is under, understanding that expense reductions is probably the most, it's the least sexy, but the most important thing you can do. And one thing like, like Ethan, you and I were talking about before, there's a clog always forming in your pipes. So the, uh, my background is in wastewater treatment. That's where my master's is in. And we add all kinds of chemicals and products at the, to break up clogs and stuff in the wastewater treatment plant. Now those environmentally friendly products are available right on the shelves in Home Depot. So instead of waiting for the clog to get to the wastewater treatment plant, you can break it up right there in your sink. Okay. Environmentally friendly products. It's called Green Gobbler. Um, Home Depot, uh, you can get it. Home Depot uses this product themselves on their own bathrooms. And oh. essentially, um, Ethan, let me ask you this. Would you, if you considered your your intestines part of your um, sewer system, drainage system, okay? Would you rather uh, take a liquid or would you rather be snaked and plunged? I would much rather take a liquid. Okay, same with your, same with your, um, your buildings, your assets. Just add Green Gobbler on a regular basis. Do not wait for the clog to, to do not wait to have to call a plumber. You should, you should have this available for all your tenants. The business is, is you know, they don't need gloves. They don't need glasses. It's not an asset or anything like that. Anytime they see things slowing down, have them add it themselves. And um, they're happier doing that. You, you don't no longer need to pay for a plumber to come to your place anymore. And, um, it's just overall uh, the preventative maintenance of it. Every turn, anytime there's a tenant moves out, you should do it and you should just have it available for your tenants. 
so that they never have to call you to tell you that their their toilet is backed up. Well, and I'll I'll back you up with some data here. So you know, as you know, and as all of our listeners know, Lateral is in the maintenance space. That's what we do. The biggest non-emergency request we get is drain clog issues. You could cut out minimum 20% of issues every year just by keeping all, all pipes and, and drains unclogged. And how much does that save you on sending a handyman out that's going to have to do that? That's, a, that's exactly right. And when they're under the sink, they're going to break the pipe and they have to go to Home Depot to get something. So all yeah. that all that needs to be, all that goes away if you have a preventive maintenance plan that just has Green Gobbler in it, make it available to, I overstock it at my apartments. I put it in the laundry room so they just go help themselves to it. Well, and I'll say for my intestines, I also have a Green Gobbler. It's just a, a spinach kale smoothie. There, there that's, that's, that's my personal Green Gobbler. That's it. Um, so I love this. So when you say expense reductions, you're really talking about how do you avoid having these like maintenance expenses popping up? Um, it, do you see it all being around like the maintenance expense for the home or is, are there other expense reductions that you, I, I, I like preventive maintenance cause that's the, the biggest, mm-hmm. you know, um, even deep foamers for your, um, washing machines, keep mm-hmm. your pipes clean, keep them from choking. If you have tree roots growing into the sewer lines, you should add a little copper um, product to it to, to um, prevent that from happening or to, to make it less tasty for it to go that way. There's all kinds of things you do so you can pro- prolong the lives of things and, and completely eliminate some of the emergencies that not only do they costly, but they're emotionally draining as well. Yeah. So you think about this, you got to burn some calories. Okay. You can burn fewer calories preventing things, just a fraction than all the drama that happens on your vacation. You know, these things break down while you're on vacation. That's exactly what. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) That's the only time. That or midnight. (laughs) That's it. That's it. Lockouts. You know, we, you know, uh, digital locks uh, completely eliminate the need for rekeying and everyone's happier with that. So Benjamin Franklin had a key. We don't need to have keys anymore. Okay. We also have bifocals. Now we have contact lenses, which yeah, I wear yeah. every day, right? Yeah. I guess now we have laser. I should probably just get LASIK or laser. <laughs> so that's what, you know, one thing I, I always want to make sure I get in is that green gobbler because um, uh, people plunge and that just pushes the clock further down mm. instead of breaking it up. You know, just, um, so that's, I think I can. Do you have that, like a. Uh, do you have like a cheat sheet or like a, like a goodie box? <laughs> goodie box might be a weird way to phrase this, but like some kind of goodie box that you give to your tenants maybe every year or when they move in with like an instruction. sheet. You know, hey, here's what I expect you to be doing every couple months. You know, my, um, I would, if I was a traditional landlord, you know, but, but I'm, but I'm not. And so one thing my, my tenants, that I have that are long-term just are not planning on leaving. So I don't have any, I don't really have any turnover. Then my short-term rentals, of course, uh, we do a preventive maintenance treatment in between tenants. There, gotcha. So. Okay. So the tenant's not the one necessarily doing. Yeah. Doing so it it's, all, it's all there for them. Yeah, absolutely. So I overstock that. That's the biggest thing 
is is those clogs. Um, everything else were kind of easy street. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So that's, that's it. So so that right right there, because um, um, no one really wants to talk about expense reductions. I mean, they're more t- interested in the the the, the sexy income streams. Right. So there's a lot of those as well. I mean, hey, when you talk about operating income, half the equation is your expenses. It's your expenses, right? right. And the other half right. is obviously your your revenue. Um, right. Right. Because so, your expenses, you know, you can knock a lot down with uh, buying. I would buy um, Home Depot gift cards, a, a secondhand discounted, so I, I can buy them ten percent. You know, ninety cents on a dollar for people to get them, and that's a ten percent. That's a big savings. Well, yeah, especially if you have a good amount of properties, you're like, yeah. So I I would take the time. You know, some of the things I documented. That's a big savings, especially if a project coming up, and you you add those those coupons with with that together, you can knock off fifteen, fifteen, eighteen percent is is uh, huge. Yeah, yeah, that is. Yeah. Are there any? Things on the flip side of the equation that oh, yeah. you would want to talk about. Uh, let's talk about now. These are these are not in the book. The, the book is filled with stuff. I got to update it. It's filled with great well, stuff. Th- this is good. Like me... we, we can go buy the book after this yeah, and see yeah. everything in the book. What one thing that that's new is uh, Wi-Fi meshes and using different um, nodes. So you can take one high-speed Wi-Fi and you can take these these little um, points you know i'm talking about google wi-fi has a product out there's other products that allow you to create a wi-fi mesh mm-hmm. and you can blanket an area with using one high speed so for like my eight unit building everyone was buying their own internet everyone's working in their own silos paying 70 80 a month for mm-hmm. their own internet connection so myself as an owner i can provide um, i can create my own association I'm the owner, and this is all my building, so I can definitely put my nodes out um, through half the half the units, so that these nodes talk to each other, and they do it as a smart network. So it it dishes off the 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 Wi-Fi you need for your device, so cool. it manages that way. So I can cut everyone's eighty dollar bill to forty dollars. So I have eight units. So if we do the math, that's one hundred and sixty dollars, right? And it only cost me a hundred bucks, so I just created a sixty dollar. I, I created savings for people, and I I share in some of the savings. That's the principle of 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 so uh, you this save particular that money, but you're making money. Exactly, it's That's the Groupon great. effect, hmm. and and it makes everyone happy. Um, again, it puts you into abundance when you when you um, create more value than you capture. That's the yeah. principle behind that drives it. That's and, a really and good idea. As the manager, you're the common denominator to a lot of things. You can organize um, a, a lot of different expenses, and also they, they need your leadership so that they can work together. And when you can work together, you can create a, an economy and everyone can benefit. So it's, 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 um, it's wearing a different hat as a manager, um, especially when it's the own, your own unit uh, property and you want to um, create a housing service for your, not just uh, an adversarial traditional rent landlord tenant kind of an adversarial thing, but more of a joint venture type of um, mindset. 
uh-huh. you can do a lot. When you have a joint venture type of mindset, you can, and the, and the tenant shares in some of the new income stream you're creating, um, that's how you get people that will uh, give up the parking spaces or for special events, or they'll, uh, they don't mind someone uh, uh, straddling their parking space or, or squeezing the, you know, squeezing over to make a, a parking or um, work, you know, same with, same with other people, other landlords, you can create associations that everyone has the same expense. They, they have to have gutter cleaning, for example. Right. So just by using your leadership as a manager to do gutter cleaning at your rentals and asking the neighbors if they want the same service, uh, you can get your own property done for free. Right. So it's a huge savings, but and it's created by just moving your lips. So no money down, big savings. Uh, just takes a little bit of effort, but it's going to be once you do that and make that contact, you got a reoccurring person who's who's depending on your leadership to um, help them keep their property up as well. Yeah, and these are all like alternate profit streams. These are alternate profit streams. Operating income. that goes right to the manager or to the um, into the pocket of the owner. Yeah. So that's kind of on the expense reduction side. So we haven't even got to the income side, have we? Oh no, the, well, the Google we, Wi-Fi. We talked about the Wi-Fi income. mesh, and that definitely is one. Yeah. Are there other so uh, ideas you have you for view, that? If you view your property with different lenses, okay, that's what's um, it comes from. Edward De Bono's six thinking hats. He always talks about putting on a different hat to help you think differently. So when you look at your property from the view of this thing is a storage facility, then you. And then you, you may see some underutilized areas in your parking lot that you can drop a um, a storage container on and monetize mm-hmm. that space now. And then you can have uh, tenants. It's possible to have tenants use that space and, and charge them extra for that, or um, which preferably people who don't live on the property, if you can make it so that they don't disturb the tenants but can store things instead of going to their mini storage facility. Is, that's even better because that storage facility is, is under a um, lien laws, not landlord tenant laws. Huh. That means you can lock them out if they don't pay. You can immediately lock them out. So it's, it's a tremendous profit center. It's typically um, $1 a, a square foot for storage per month. Uh, that's the typical rates. So if you have 100 square feet, um, you got $100 right there coming month oh, after that's month. That's awesome. Yeah, so that's a good one, and um, I like that a lot. It's this, the, that particular part of this taking a underutilized part of your property. This is we we mostly focus on what's going on inside the walls, um, but I think out, thinking what's outside of your outs off your roof, you know, yeah. is good. And then off, off what's off your property line, what borders your property line is 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 also really good to find opportunities because you have one of my favorites is, is um, traffic count. You know, you have advertisement opportunities if you're on a busy street. Mm. That means you think of your, your building as a billboard and you can think of it as a storage facility. You can think of it as a tripod for signals and antennas and, and um, 5g is going to need a higher density of antennas. So that's coming around. 
a lot of us missed myself included missed the the cell phone expansion the cell phone towers the, the land leases but just keep your eyes open for 5g and um yeah. for that and um yeah that's coming you can also think of your um your property as a um transportation hub that's one thing in my book we talk about that's how you come up with the ideas of of zip car parking spaces and um charging centers and um, right. things like car sharing opportunities um like that everyone has those those types of things and you talk a lot about like the the ride yeah ride sharing at, ride share, at a bicycle high level right yeah right all those types of things um people just helping people share is a, a way of um finding an income stream, creating an income stream. And as a manager, he's collecting money from everyone anyway. Um, these, that puts people on subscription services and there's a number of things you can do depending on what the needs are. If yeah. you're in a snowy area, then people need to be dug out in wintertime, right? They can do it themselves or you can crowdsource that and um, with a little bit of leadership and um, create an income stream for yourself. Yeah. These are all awesome strategies and there's 40 more in your book. So you should definitely have people get the book, read through those packed full of good stuff. I want to make sure we talk about something you mentioned beforehand, because I've seen a lot of landlords and property managers talking about using this as a route to increase um, income streams as well. And that's um, the month, month to month furnished housing. Right. Um, you know, I'm, I'm based in San Francisco, so I'm seeing a lot of like new companies getting into the month to month furnished housing with kind of like a skew almost toward like corporate housing. Right. It doesn't necessarily have to be corporate housing, but I'd like to get your take on month to month furnished housing, the pros, the cons, it seems like you can make more profit doing it that yeah. way. Oh yeah, but it seems like there's a lot of downsides too. So I'd love to hear your take. Well, let's let's get up on the balcony. We've got to climb up here and take a look at it from from the balcony. Okay, so from the balcony, you can see eight categories. You can see military housing as part of the furnished month-to-month housing, mm. and the corporate housing, like you touched on. Student housing has a two flavors: graduate students and undergrads. Two different types of housing. Then you got medical housing, three flavors there. There's uh, families that are supporting their loved ones. You got traveling healthcare professionals, and you also got a medical students. All of them have different needs of, of furnished housing, different flavors. Mm. You got international people coming over. Uh, they need temporary furnished month-to-month rentals um, for themselves. You, you also got insurance. You got loss of use um, when people get flooded out, damaged, and you also have adjusters you have to come out when there's a disaster. They're, they're out for months at a time. Um, you also have just regular temp housing. You can think of an in-betweener, like someone who just sold their house in, in the Bay Area, who's coming to Sacramento, heading to the foothills and paying all cash. Yeah. For, so there's a lot of that going on. Um, I think I got all the categories, but um, there's a, there's a, then you've got vacation rentals in these short-term stays, less than 30 days. So you can see from my angle from up on the balcony, we can see that the short-term rentals, the vacation rentals and the, and the, um, even the one, two night business travels, um, that gets a lot of attention. 
them. I'm happy for that because I'm focusing on the other ones. <laughs> right. so focusing on the recession proof. Like Ethan, if if the if we were in a military town and the economy tanks, how is that gonna affect our military housing? I, I'd imagine it's it not gonna, it's not gonna affect it it's not gonna affect it at all. Yeah. It's recession proof. Unless okay. we close down the military. If they close down the military, and, and if they do, then you know you just pivot into these other categories. Right. So you pivot into insurance, you pivot into um in, um, temp housing, um, you pivot into international. You know, you got to you got to know not to sit there and take a, a bad example. I, I talk about if you allow me on your on your program here. Yeah, I, I please say, do. I say vacancy is an abusive husband. You just don't stay there and take a vacancy. You just don't. You do something, you know, you right. pivot, you move, you, you just don't say I'm, I'm, I'm vacant. You know, you prevent vacancy, you, you, you guard against it. You, you just don't accept it. I mean, if anything, vacancy is the enemy of profit, right? Yeah. You don't accept vacancies just like you don't accept abusive husband. <laughs> you do something about it. Yeah. So, so that's what that's what this pivoting is about. You pivot if you if you see a slowdown in whatever whatever flavor of month to month housing rentals, which is typically and the reason I'm saying month to month housing because that's a cornerstone of affordable housing, month to month rentals, and government agencies who are writing these ordinances, they do not mean to touch month to month rentals. It's the cornerstone of affordable housing. So short term, less than 30 days is is a subject for for all kinds of ordinances and protests and things like that. Mm. But month-to-month rentals is is um, the same as they've always been. It's still the ground and, and protected. Now, if you happen to fill your month-to-month rentals with someone you meet online or through Facebook, or who someone who wants to you know furnishing it and they want to stay with you instead of residence in then that's perfectly fine that's perfectly fine that's why you see so many residents and uh extended stay america uh, home two suites by hilton uh, best westerns coming out with his own extended stay you see so many extended yeah. stay hotels that is all the marketing. That that's just proving that your market can take month to month rentals. That's exactly what it is. I'm curious, what are the differences in the process for screening a tenant yeah. for a month to month versus your long term? Yeah, so you can the the I use an alternative screening sometimes. Like if it's a say it's a medical traveling medical professional or student, or um, they all have assignment letters. Mm. Military has assignment letters. You know, even international people, they have a, an assignment letter accepting why they're here. Mm. They can they can validate why they're here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so those are good. And, and the goal is, is to house someone who works. I, I like business travelers. You house someone who works in town but lives somewhere else. And that's a growing trend. People wanting to, not wanting to move for their jobs. Yeah, you know, there, there's, there's, 
if, if there's a regular family, traditional family, then they, there's an elderly parent, baby boomer parent that um, needs to be taken care of. So they're just not going to move away from that person for a job. And they're just less loyal to follow, follow a job wherever it relocates you. So you got people who live one place and, and work in another place. And that's growing as uh, cloud competing grows, as uh, mobile yeah. devices grow. There's no reason that you have to go to a office when you have a Wi-Fi connection. So, so those are things. It's, it's, it's causing this whole mesh of uh, who's a who's a landlord and who's a tenant to morph together, and and it's causing who's a a resident residential rental and who's a an extended stay hotel to morph together too, because they're trying to. These hotels are starting to understand that it's more profitable on a net income basis mm-hmm. to house one person for thirty days. Than, than 30 guys all in one night. There's right. less damage. There's less less staffing you need, less cleaners, less health insurance that you have to pay. The profit margins are just higher when you're doing extended stay furnished rentals. So they're trying to act like landlords, basically, who furnish yeah. the place. They see that that, this, and, they, and, and it quiets this cap. They think that landlords who don't furnish their place are just asleep completely completely oblivious to this that that the internet is here now and has changed real estate forever i think a lot of folks are probably asking and because i i'm thinking and i'm imagining most of our audience is thinking if i were to take any of my long-term rentals convert them into month-to-month furnish them prep them, let's say like, you know, lease ends instead of actually turning it, I'm going to go ahead and, you know, get the furniture in, do the make ready, get it ready mm-hmm. for a month to month. Mm-hmm. Um, now the challenge is, okay, I might have damage on like the furniture. There's going to be that operational issue. You know, I'm going to have higher turnover and have to focus more on bringing in new tenants. There's maybe the marketing issue. And so I think the question is, how much more am I actually going to make on that month-to-month rental? That's great. And is that going to outweigh like the operational time and cost? Yeah, that's a great question. So let's go back to net income, okay? So of course, a tr- you know, traditional nationwide, the average is net income. Nationwide average is about 100 bucks a month after everything's said and done, okay? Now, if you furnish a place, you can charge more because... Um, about 30% more, okay, if you furnish a place, net income-wise, okay? okay? And then if you flex your, your terms, like how long a person stays, so start to do month-to-month rentals or um, shorter Airbnb stuff, you can make about three to five times more net income. So that means 300 to $500. Or you can think of it as making one rental equivalent to net income-wise to three rentals, or five rentals by just making this shift, okay, on a net mm-hmm. income basis, without the taxes and the maintenance and everything. And then if you if you change it to go to corporate housing, you should be able to make between um, eight to ten times more net income. You should be able to clear a thousand dollars a month, or you just made one rental equal to ten rentals on a net income basis, okay. 
So, so that- it's, it's tremendously on a net income basis. It's a tremendous way of uh, of going. And again, your focus is on under if there's if there's an extended stay hotel in your town, that means the marketing has already been done. That means the demand is already there. It's already been. Mm-hmm. You, you can't even you can't. These people do it for a living. Sophisticated models, and they've been doing it for 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 many years. And they, they operate, you know, hundreds of rooms in hundreds of different um, towns. Okay. So you can't, if it's there, that means it works. Okay. And if you undercut them and give that person and give someone more space for less money, that means you can do it too. And that means that if you're not doing it, or at least some of your, you know, it should be a percentage of your holdings, just to diversify, just having some exposure, just like you would balance a rental portfolio, a stock portfolio. You got to have some exposure. Uh, it's at at this point. At this point, I I would say I could say that if 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 you're practicing as a professional asset manager and you don't have any exposure to this, when you're surrounded by all these cues that it works, then uh, something you, you might be negligent at this point because it's almost 2020. So in 2020, one third of the workforce. In 2020, will have been born after 1990. That's after you've been born, Ethan. Right? And if they need somewhere to stay, they go to their phone, right? And they hit an app, right? That's the market. That's the changing of this, how things have changed. There's a, yeah. a younger workforce, um, mobile devices, and um, also hotels trying to act like landlords who have furnished rentals. So, Landlords just you gotta have you, you gotta have at least one. I, I love uh yeah, I love what you're saying too about looking at it as diversified holdings and a diversified yeah. portfolio where you you know your your long term they're gonna be especially if you're you know more familiar with that space, not that's what you've been doing, you're gonna have your processes down, it'll have some more consistency, and then you have all this upside that you can add into that portfolio. I mean, based off your numbers, eight to ten x yes. more net income yes. from from like a corporate yeah yes. housing, or you know, even if it is just the three to five x from you know non corporate but month to month furnished, right. that's huge. That's huge. That changes so I, your whole portfolio. You don't need a hundred units anymore. You just need a third of it, or even less. Yeah. Even less, it's twenty percent of what you thought you needed can accomplish your financial goals if you not go buy more properties, just change the use of some of the ones you have. That's awesome. So I'll say it one more time for everyone listening: forty ways to increase the net income of your rental properties. Everyone should look that up on Amazon. We'll have the link to you in the the show notes. Are there other books that you've written that you'd suggest uh, folks go out and read? Well, if you know my my passion project is um, inner cities, uh, happening for those who don't know can't see me. I'm an African American male, and um, that was my first project is to to show that a landlord's position in an inner city is to advocate for it. In fact, 
the landlord in the inner city gets paid really well if they advocate for the neighborhood. Um, in doing so, you actually attract um, honorable people and you kind of repel the people who are your problems because they don't want a healthy neighborhood. And as you not accomplish the goal, you don't have to accomplish and make everything perfect. You just have to make be moving in that direction consistently. And that's enough to create the the magnetic field, as to say, to attract that attracts people. And that same magnetic field repels people who um, don't want any snitching, don't want uh, you to communicate with the police department, or they want the streetlights to stay off and no one report oh. that is off. So there's a lot of that. And once once you do that, once the problem, or I call it the lid on the neighborhood, once that's removed, then, then you're free to have less stress in your life with all the drama that goes along with having a uh, bad apple. Oh. And also, it allows you to increase your um, rents. And, and, and here's the thing. You can, if you have problems in your neighborhood, um, drug dealing, uh, trafficking, or prostitution, or litter, or whatever it is, and and you go and you do put granite in your bathrooms and kitchens to try to raise your rent. So, well, it's not going to work. Right. It's cheaper, and you get a higher return on your money by advocating for your neighborhood. And, and by that, I mean make sure that there's no litter on the ground. Either you um, hire a kid to pick it up on a regular basis, or you exercise some leadership to make sure that you you put out the cues of a healthy neighborhood. And those cues, um, just this, this goes back to the famous, you fake it till you make it. You look like a neighborhood that uh, is watching what's going on. Beer cans aren't staying out in front of your place because they're gone the next door. Tagging, you know, you paint over right away. So there's no reward for um, putting graffiti up and all those types of things. It looks orderly, you know, um, email list of all your the owners of the and a phone list phone tree of everyone so that you can communicate with each other uh. one of the best things we did was a, a annual block party to make sure we got people we took the street and we set up right in the middle of the street potluck so people participate and um one thing i found that's what i really really found is that other landlords they will happily cut you checks and donate. So you have all the money you need to throw a great block party. They don't want to do the work themselves, but they can understand that this directly, you know, this 20, $30 that they're cutting, chipping in is going to create a, a, a tighter knit community. And it's only going to, it's probably the best investment they can make. I have to interrupt for a second too, because I think you just gave a gold nugget to any um, third-party professional property management companies listening. Um, marketing in this space, well, especially for third-party property managers, it's really hard marketing to landlords and acquiring landlords as, as the, a customer base. It, it's, you know, it's a lot of uh, pound in the pavement type stuff. But I think what you just said is a really interesting way to build uh, community participation, but do it in a way that uh, allows you to network well with other people in the area 
landlording, which is setting up these block parties. And I don't know why that I, I have never heard anyone talk about that. It's never crossed my mind before. Super creative idea, but I, I kind of want to tell all of our property managers listening that do third yeah. party, go try this, experiment yeah. with it, run a block party, um, communicate, do it, coordinate it with the other landlords in the space. And who knows? I mean, you know, if you had a, a property manager helping to do that in your uh, the communities you own properties in, you know, maybe at some point if you decide to leave Sacramento, you'll say, hey, that person gets it. Yeah, they were organizing the block parties. They're doing the community building. Of course, I'm gonna ask them to uh, help oh, me yeah, manage all MOA. Absolutely, yeah. Ethan, you, you're 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 spot on. First of all, if you do it annually, you have a reason to contact them repetitively. Yeah, and yeah. and then there's you know you're simply there's essentially circus Olay. You have no competition. You've separated yourself and put the spotlight on yourself and if the goal is to, to get the ask them for the money so that you can throw this on so it doesn't cost so we're going into abundance again it doesn't cost you anything to, to exercise your leadership that actually helps you raise your rents yeah that's awesome and, um, and, more business for you. and i i love that it's it's about what you can do for the community and it's not about where do you find dollars to go spend to do something it's right. about the time and commitment to the community that's right and it feeds back it you know right. you help others it helps you um i love that i want to uh we're, we're almost out of time here so i have one last question before we go into wrap up <laughs> okay and i really just kind of want to pick your brain to see if there's one or two pieces of advice that maybe helped you build your business and build your income streams mm -hmm that you'd want to share with everyone else oh man i got some some big ones because i've been focusing on them here here it is one is use checklists make it detailed and give it to someone else to implement okay use <laughs> it's so basic isn't it create detailed checklists so that someone else can operate it for you and stop doing things yourself. Then the next thing is stop using your own money. You should stop using your own money. Create, create a investment for someone else to invest in. Okay. So learn your stuff. And, and so, so Ethan, what I, what I found is that when people use their own money, myself included, um, sloppier than when, um, handling someone else's money huh. to, to make a, to make a, to run an enterprise or to do a venture or anything. I'm sharper, I'm more sure. And if I'm not using my own money, then I can do this over and over again. Right. I'm not, I'm going to back into abundance. So you can replicate and scale, right? Replicate. Much faster. So the, one of the, there's probably more than you wanted to know, but one of the exceptions to the rule of, um, of being self-sufficient, is that it applies is great for everything except for cash flow. You have to be interdependent if you want abundant cash flow. This self-sufficiency and self-reliancy doesn't work in the world of abundance. Okay. So 
that's where I am now. Like we can do things that create net income. And that's a very, I'm using that real specific. If you can do something that you're good at, if you know your stuff, you can create net income. However it is, then you take on the mindset of you are now the golden goose. Your job is just to lay that egg and um, you will have everything you need. Your job is to focus on creating that income and creating an investment for other people and stop using your own money. You should never spend any of your money. Your money should be in the bank. It should be used to show people that you have reserves. It should, you know, marketing, that's what you should do with it. Um, it's, it's simply to show people that you could make the payment if something went wrong. It's not for you to use on your adventures or to for your expansions, expand your business or anything. Your, your job is just to lay that golden egg, create that net income. That's it. Oh, I, I love it. 25 years to get there. There are so many gems in here. And for anyone starting out uh, in, in, in real estate or thir even third-party property management, you've, you've paved this road full of gems. Um, so uh, everyone listening, make sure you check out the book on Amazon, 40 Ways to Increase the Net Income of Your Rental Properties. Um, Al, is there any other ways that folks should get in touch with you if they want to learn more about you? Yeah. So my, my main website where all my experiments and, and um, the things I'm doing and learning is at leadinglandlord.com. Because obviously you guys hear it, I believe landlords should be the leaders of, of neighborhoods and uh, leading the way in things. Um, so that's it. So awesome. you find out my experiments on um, artificial intelligence, how that's going to affect the landlord industry and some other cool uh, expense reductions. I'm spending a lot of time thinking about that uh, and uh, all kinds of um, non-sexy technical stuff that, that helps you squeak out more net income. Well, if you want more net income and you're willing to do the unsexy things to build profit, which that's what most businesses are, you got to be willing to do the unsexy. <clears throat> Go to leadinglandlord.com. Al, thanks so much. Ethan, thank you for having me. This was great. And for uh, everyone else, make sure you go to latchel.com. Find out more about Latchel. Um, Al, you said it yourself. If you can delegate, delegate. You can delegate your maintenance to Latchel. Um, book a demo with us. We're happy to talk. Al, thanks again. Have an awesome weekend. Thank you. And I'll see you next time. Okay. Bye. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date. Hit that subscribe button. Give us some love. Maybe give us a five-star review, too, if you like what you're hearing. And I have an ask for you. I'd like you to go to latchel.com and click the book a demo button to schedule time to talk with us. We want to hear about your business, how you've been, how you're growing, how maintenance is going at your company. Maybe we can work together. Maybe not but you won't know unless you talk to us. So go to latchel.com, click the book a demo button. I'm looking forward to talking to you. I know the rest of our team here is. So go do that as soon as you can. Thanks everyone. See you back next week.